Hello, this is Marcos Patchett, the Nocturnal Herbalist, and this video is called The Magic of Cacao, and it's a talk I did in August 2021, just about the traditional magical meanings and mythology of cacao, Theobroma cacao used to make chocolate. And when I say traditional, I mean traditional in Mesoamerica, that's Central America, what, what is today known as Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, that part of the world. Um, so yeah just uh, the, the talk will be in in four sections so the f and each of those sections builds to form a, a coherent sort of picture so there are four sections to this talk the first section is going to be about the traditional beverages made with cacao beans and by traditional i mean traditional in mesoamerica in central america uh, often dating from before the 16th century, before the time of the Spanish conquest, but many of them are still drunk in Central America today. The second section, Theobroma Pharmacy, is going to talk about the pharmacology of cacao and how that may link in to its magical uses and properties and uses in ritual particularly before the Spanish conquest in, in native belief systems. The third part of the talk, Stella Cacao, is about how cacao fits in to indigenous star law. Like every society the world around, traditional Mesoamerican societies such as the Mexica, later renamed the Aztecs, or the Maya, the different Maya peoples, had an extensive astrological law uh, which tied in with their religious and mythological sort of belief systems and cacao fit in with those and that that section of the talk we'll talk about that and then the final section of the talk part four we'll talk about how cacao featured in their the mythology of their gods and how it was also used in ancestor worship and then finally all of these things will be tied together to give a comprehensive sense of how cacao fit in to indigenous uh, belief systems and may have been used for magical purposes traditionally and even may be used in that way today by esotericists so hopefully this will be enjoyable just a quick word about the sound quality in this video it's not wonderful just because i forgot to record i, I do this very often when i'm um, giving talks i completely forget uh, to actually switch on the microphone just because i'm so focused on giving the talk i forget to switch things on and do practical things of that nature so fortunately one of the people who was coming to the talk monica actually recorded the talk on her phone so thank you for, thank you to monica for that and shout out to monica hello um so thank you for recording it because otherwise there wouldn't be any audio so i've scrubbed that up and amplified it as best i can it's a little echoey but hopefully it's still good so anyway um enjoy the talk most of the traditional beverages we think were made from fermented seeds but there are two kinds of seeds still in use in Central America now in contemporary beverages. One's just cacao, normal cacao, which is fermented and then toasted. And the other is called cacao lavado or washed cacao, which means it's just piled up for a day and then washed. So it's fermented a tiny little bit and then it's washed. And that makes a big difference to the taste and to the pharmacology. And basically the washed cacao has more of the antioxidants in, it has more polyphenols in which I'll go on to talk about in a bit because they're really important for how it affects you. 
and the health and for your health and everything, but it has less of these other little constituents like the trace amines, like serotonin, dopamine, all these little trace chemicals mm. that affect your brain. So um, it's 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 interesting. It probably only is of great interest to nerds like me, but I do think that is um, that's a really interesting thing to try and find out. My suspicion is that probably anciently they it was more like most of the cacao would maybe be made from this cacao lavado, which is just fermented for a day or so. So it produces, it doesn't break down as much of the antioxidants, but it's still producing some of those little trace chemicals. All right, so, and this is, you're probably all familiar with this tool, but the Metatia Mano, it's just a, that's the, obviously the Spanish name for it, that the, the Mexica, the Aztecs called it um, a metatl, which is the grinding stone, and the Metlapil, which is the, the, the roller bit. And it's just an old style quern, which is a, stone grinding thing what's what's um distinctive about the mesoamerican or central american grinding apparatus is that it's got this slightly concave surface which and which is and they're usually made of volcanic stone or, or granite and they're really good for grinding cacao because obviously when you grind cacao seeds because they have so much fat in them they're 50 percent fat they go to liquid they turn into cacao liquor so the fact that they're concave like that just means that the liquid all collects um, in, in the centre of it. Nice. Um, yeah, and they're usually heated. I mean, sometimes they'll put like coals underneath them, but in Mexico, if you just leave them in the sun, it's like they're hot yeah. enough. And then because they're hot, obviously they're above the melting temperature of cocoa butter, which we all know about that, it's chocolate on a yeah. hot day. Um, so because they're heated like that, when, when you're grinding them on these flat surfaces, very different, from a mortar and pestle, yeah. which is like a big bowl, mm. it's much better for grinding the liquid because you spread it out over in a flat yeah. thing like that. So what tends to happen is a lot of the acids from the fermentation evaporate and it mellows the flavour, and it it just it just it turns it into a, a superior product. Doing it that way rather than doing it, and also doing it in a, a mortar and pestle if you're going to hand grind beans is a guaranteed way to get RSO. I don't recommend it. Do you know what I mean? Because it really knackers your, your wrist up yeah. and you don't get that same surface area for evaporation. Yeah. Anyway, that was the traditional. They use that for grinding corn and spices and pretty much everything. Like every traditional kitchen in Central America has one of those. Um, right. Okay. So this is three photos from contemporary um, Mesoamerica. That's just um, the one on the this side and the, the far side. They're both from the same kitchen, uh, kitchen of a chef called Karina Santiago in um, Oaxaca, which is on the west coast of Mexico. It's Mexico's most famous sort of culinary region. Mm. And she runs a restaurant called Tierra Antigua, or Old Earth. And they just do recipes which are traditional, ancient sort of Mesoamerican recipes. Mm. It's brilliant. And like post-colonial as well as pre-colonial, just traditional food. And this is her like on her kamal, which is the flat dish, just toasting the cacao seeds. They were always toasted traditionally. So raw cacao, I'm not against it. I think it's a great thing, but the traditional thing was toasting the seeds lightly, which I'll, I'll go on to when I talk about the pharmacology, what that might do. I think it's important. It's a part of the process. There was a reason they did it. I usually, when, when, I, when you find, when you're looking at something, that traditionally there was a way things were done. Yeah, sometimes tradition is, 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 is wrong and it's good to question why, but usually there's a reason even if you don't agree with the reason, usually there's a reason why people did that thing that way. And it's all, I think it's always a good thing to assume that there is a reason why it was done that way first before you question it. 
because I think sometimes in, the, in like today, people look at traditional knowledge or processes or whatever, and they assume the opposite. They assume like, well, that, that's probably wrong. They were probably stupid and they didn't know what they were doing. And I tend to assume that no, the assumption is, yeah, start with the opposite assumption and then work backwards. Do you know what I mean? If you yeah. think, oh, well, actually this is wrong. It's a better way of doing it. Fair dues. But it's this massive hubris thing. It's like, I, I read this book a while ago, which referred to some, some forms of modern inquiry as a state of chronic general ingratitude and I really like that it's just like because it can be a bit like that anyway yeah. so so then I'll, I'll talk about some of the pharmacology of what happens when you toast the seeds a bit later but and this is in the same restaurant this is one of her helpers that's not Karina that's one of the ladies who's who's helping her and she's grinding the cacao seeds and she's actually this little bowl with white stuff there those are that's cacao blanco which is a close relative of cacao it's another tree called Theobroma bicolor or jaguar tree. The seeds have less caffeine in, they're milder and they're sort of, they're, they're much paler because uh, cacao seeds, when you cut them open, when they're raw, they're mauve or pink, sometimes light pink, sometimes ivory, sometimes mauve. They, 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 shade, they shade from sort of like just tinted to mauve. These are always white in the middle because they've got less polyphenols, less of the antioxidants in, and they have a milder, nuttier taste close relative and these are in Oaxaca there's a really insane process for producing these they bury all these seeds in a pit in the ground for six months and fill it with water and then they ferment them anaerobically for six months and halfway through after three months they take take everything out like turn the seeds over and they properly stink and then they cover them back over again and when they take them out after six months all the odor is gone because the bacteria have done all their work and the insides of them are just pure white and they look like little lumps of rubbery feta cheese with a little skin on them. And then they're dried in the shade, not in the sun. It's really particular in the shade on a dry day, you know, just leave them in the shade in a covered porch until they're dried. And then you take the skins off and they're used specifically in the recipe that this lady's making, which is chocolate atole. She's making this chocolate atole, which is this gruel of maize with this chocolate foam on top. And I'll talk about the foam in a bit because all the traditional beverages had a, had a head of foam on top. Wow. And that was really significant, both symbolically, ceremonially, magically, and possibly pharmacologically as well. But so she's making, she's grinding the cacao beans with these, this cacao blanco. And the function of this cacao blanco, this fermented seed, which is a relative of cacao that's held underground for six months and then has this really laborious process to make it, is a foaming agent. It generates the foam when you grind it with cacao and then whip it up with water. And then the lady in the middle is um, a lady in um, another part of Oaxaca, Hushitan, and she's just winnowing the seeds. She's actually um, Senora, <coughs> Senora Vasquez. She was, she's a vendor of, of, of Bupu, which is one of these foamy beverages they make in Hushitan, and it's made with cacao and magnolia flowers. <coughs> and it's a big, big bowl of foamy, foamy cacao, and she's just winnowing the seeds, which is when she's toasted the seeds, she shelled the seeds, and then she pours them just through a colander on a windy day and all the shells just blow away in the wind. Wow. So it's a quick way of separating out all the remaining bits of shell. Yeah, so, and that's Doña Vasquez selling the bupu. You can see there's a big bowl of like foamy. Yeah. So it's got the atole, which is the, the warm beverage just made with toasted corn and water and not very sweetened. And then the foam on the top, which is cacao, magnolia flowers both fresh and dried magnolia flowers obviously have this amazing smell to it but also add a little bit of pharmacology like they're anti-anxiety they're relaxant they reduce palpitations so they con contain 
uh, the, 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 the flowers of Mexican magnolia, magnolia grandiflora, and the process is you you grind the you get loads of the fresh flowers and you grind them yes. to a paste and then grind them in with the with the toasted cacao and then you've also got some dried flowers which means sun dried that are also ground to a powder and mixed in with that you need a bit of both yeah. and how, that these recipes have been obviously developed over centuries um, and there are literally hundreds of different atoles and beverages utilizing cacao in Mesoamerica. Most of them are ratoles, most of them are these corn-based recipes, just because cacao is expensive and corn is cheap, and corn is obviously the basic subsistence food. Mm. So adding cacao to it adds nutrition, adds a bit of pharmacology, gives you a bit of lift in your day, um, and it's it's just it's sustaining what? tonic. It's a way of padding it out. You know? It fills you up. Yeah, it fills you up, exactly. There's a bit of quality on it as well. Certainly, both of those things. So it adds medicine and quality and flavour and niceness. But so it's, it's a bit like that's the staple food. But this is a nice little uh, beverage of the region. Nowadays, it's made with loads of piloncillo, which is unrefined sugar. Because you see the Spanish influence coming through in cinnamon, which obviously is from Sri Lanka originally, but the Spanish brought that in. And that supplanted a lot of no local spices in the addition of milk, which is never used in these traditional beverages, but is nowadays used in hot chocolate in Mexico and Central America, because milk, again, is a European import. Um, and sugar. Sugar is the big one, because before the Spanish conquest, most of those ancient beverages were just made with water, cacao, spices and herbs. They did add honey sometimes. Some of the recipes were sweetened, but most pre-Columbian cacahuatl or cacao. Cacahuatl was the Mexica name. Cacao is the Maya name. Uh, one of the Maya names for it, but cacao is one of the oldest names for it. K-A-K-A-W-A -A -A in like phonetic spelling. Um, that um, most of those beverages were not sweetened at all. Um, and then this is the chocolate atole. That's the finished chocolate atole. And again, you see with both of them, this is big head of <coughs> cacao flavored froth on top of the beverages. Uh, sorry. Um, so anyway. Sorry, so underneath that froth is is the corn. is the gruel of the corn and it's, so it's like a, it's like a porridge. It's not. It's thin, it's a drink. It's a drink, okay. but it's kind of more like a soup, a savoury soup. Okay. It's a bit like a Horlicks, right? Do you know okay. what I mean, or something like that? It's kind of it's kind of. I know. Sorry, sorry to swear, but it, it's 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 actually really pleasant. It's just like a um, a thin gruel. These used to be really popular in medieval Europe. It's like peasant food for the whole world. Gruels or pottage. In medieval Europe, same thing. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. where the word, word comes from. Pottage or gruel was just like ground up grain of some sort for your carbohydrate, bit of protein, just keep you going through the day. And then that would usually be breakfast and lunch and then dinner people would have a proper meal. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. And that's how it works still in a lot of yeah, Central America. Yeah. Okay, so... Right, okay. So that is one of my favourite traditional cacao containers. That's a Mayan, a classic era Mayan, probably around 600 to 900 CE lock top vessel. It's groovy. That actually has a little click lock. So you click it and the top clicks into place. They made a thread on it, which is awesome. It's just handmade ceramic. Um, so, so that was for storing uh, made cacao beverage, so pre-made cacao beverage. So you'd grind your beans, you'd toast and grind, toast, shell, grind, mix with the spices, whip it up with water, whack it in there, ready for the feast. And then you've got your little lock top that will click on. We know it was used for cacao because chemical analysis shows that there are traces of theobromine in it, which is one of the alkaloids that's found in cacao. 
and because it actually says it in hieroglyph my hieroglyphics on the side and i'll show you the hieroglyph for cacao later on but it says this was used for, for storing cacao and on the my different maya vessels of this type we've got we know that they made so many different variations of these beverages this one for tree fresh cacao green cacao uh, honey cacao pink cacao white cacao black cacao and just like all these different which were obviously different culinary variations made with different spices and a lot of those recipes we have no clue what they are we can reconstruct a few because there are a few from the later aztecs who or the mexica at the time of the spanish conquest um, that were written down but most of them weren't written down and the maya obviously the classic maya this civilization peaked uh, from sort of like 600 to 900 ce and by the time of the spanish conquest in the 1550s they were sort of they were sort of like they they're most of their empires that's sort of broken down mm. so um anyway this is uh karina santiago whipping the, the froth for the chocolate atole um as i say all these traditional recipes have a big head of foam all the atoles and all the cacao recipes that we know that were made in ancient times and depictions on pottery and whatnot show a big head of foam and most of those ancient recipes while i'm sure they made atoles with cacao most of the royal ones were made with just cacao spices and water they weren't made with maize because um, maize was like as i say staple food but cacao had a bit more cachet and it depends where you were in mesa america so the maya region which is like um the yucatan region it's nearer to the border of modern day guatemala or actually in guatemala and belize and honduras that's sort of a bit lower down towards mm -hmm. south america that region is more tropical and more wet and particularly in some of the coastal areas like towards the west and east coasts like modern day tabasco in south mexico and this whole strip down south mexico and guatemala uh, which is called the soconusco region those regions you grow cacao so because cacao grew in Maya regions, it wasn't quite as expensive. Like people could grow it for themselves. They could grow cacao in their back gardens and therefore they were more likely to have consumed it with maize as well as on its own. To beef it up, yeah. Yeah, to beef it up and as well as to have the, the posh beverages just with the cacao and the water and whatever. In the, the Mexica, however, in modern day Mexico City, where Tenochtitlan, where because you know, Mexico City is built on the old site Tenochtitlan, the Mexica capital. Um, they, they, they're right in the arid central heartland of Mexico. So they had to carry cacao for thousands of miles over land in trade caravans. And they didn't have draft animals. There were no horses before the Spanish arrived. So these were human, like humans carrying it on their backs. And to be a merchant was a really dangerous job because you had to go for enemy territory and whatever. And merchants kind of like doubled up as spies for the empire. So they'd go and like check out another little territory and see if it was ready to be invaded or whatever. So you, so for them, the beans were really expensive. And they, you probably know about this. They used the beans as currency, the, Mexi uh, yeah. the Mexica did. So they used them as small coins. So like six beans would buy you, like two beans would buy you a turkey. 100 beans would buy you a human slave kind of thing they were like very expensive uh, as in they were used they were used to buy stuff and they so they weren't drunk by the poor people and for the mexica in that part of mexico modern day mexico um it was actually against the law for common people to drink cacahuatl it was only reserved wow. for the for the nobility for the royal family um so and warriors obviously because it was a really theocratic <coughs> militaristic state um and because 
the Mesoamericans, because we're talking about a few thousand years of history, there were various different civilizations. When we talk about the Maya, we're really talking about lots of different groups. The Maya wasn't one coherent empire. There were lots of different ones. They all used cacao. They all had a similar, we think, theocratic structure, like the, their, their state was very much built around the religion that they followed. But the, the Aztecs who came later were much more militaristic and they actually uh, unified the territory by conquering their neighbours and sort of subjecting them. Um, so it's a really interesting history that there's, a, there's yeah. Well, anyway, suppression, where do you go? Yes, yeah, yeah. And the, the, when I get onto the metaphysics of cacao, which I won't, because all of this is, is in my book, which took me 14 years to write and therefore is yay thick. I've got a copy, I'll bring it in later on so you can have a look at it. Because um, I, I, I brought one, I forgot to bring it. Um, but it's, it's, it, there's a lot in there. And, and I talk about how cacao might fit into empire. Because when you look at the history of this substance, it's always been associated with luxury. Mm. It's always been associated with some of the darker sides of its associations have always been sort of slavery and empire. Yeah. And I think I wonder why that is, because it's like every every plant drug, every substance, every being has its own affinities. And I think cacao is generally a benign substance and a helpful substance. But there's something about it that has an affinity for those things. Maybe. We'll talk about that later because I'll bring in some other ideas later on. Shall we allow Marcus? Yeah, I'll talk about it later on. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing for sure. Um, all right, so these are just two recreations that I've done, well, attempted recreations of traditional beverages. Um, they, they aren't 100% authentic because we don't have the recipes verbatim there's only a couple that are verbatim but I've, for making these i just used traditional mesoamerican ingredients processes that are still used in the atolles today and processes that are described by the spanish chron chroniclers after the pro after the conquest of how the how the inhabitants the indigenous people did things so this is just the basic that's just beans cacao beans indigenous spices water whipped up so very much like you prepared for us this morning and eat up, but obviously just using the mesoamerican spices no sweetening so it's got in this one it's got a bit of magnolia flour all spice vanilla chili these are all indigenous to mesoamerica they were all used with cacao and we know that they were because the, the spanish chroniclers took accounts of the natives saying that they were used in the court um and uh, another spice called rosita de cacao and then this one with this mutant head of foam on the top here that I used the cacao blanco, those little fermented seeds from Oaxaca, to generate that like big old head of foam. Drop a fairy liquid in there. That's right. Yeah, drop a fairy liquid. That'd do it just as well. I mean, if you don't mind the vomiting and the gastritis, that would yeah. work just just <laughs> fine. But, but you you say that, but there were, when I was going around Mexico, there was one of the traditional atoles which foams there called popo, and. Uh, what, one of the ladies who made it and they made it with a different foaming agent because there are various ones as you can imagine in different regions mm. like one place they use the stems of sarsaparilla you know that you sometimes use to make soft drinks they use the roots to make soft drink uh sarsaparilla but they use the stems of a type of fresh sarsaparilla that's toasted and then that makes a foaming agent another one they use this vine called the milkweed vine and there are two different varieties and they use the sap of that and that it's one of the varieties this milkweed vine they use the peel or the bark of the of the stem and it's called chupipe in this uh, on the east coast near, in tabasco 
And one of the ladies who made it said, oh yeah, we had some neighbours up the road and they couldn't, they didn't have any. So they did, they used fairy liquid in their drink. They sold it and loads of people got really God. sick. And it was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you say that, but <laughs> can you imagine? Anyway, whatever. So, yes. So, uh, onto, onto, the, onto the pharmacology. Um, so I'm just going to do the basics here because like in the book, I've got like t- pages and pages of tables and I do a 55 page monograph in the appendix for anyone who wants to get really geeky about it because um, I'm a bit obsessive about it and I wanted to go into it in detail but broadly speaking you've the main groups of compounds I put into in terms of the, the active bits because obviously you've got a lot of different fats and then some proteins and then your carbohydrates or sugars which make up any seed or nut or whatever but then you've got these guys so you've got the polyphenols which are about four percent of, of the beans dried weight the polyphenols are the brown stuff when it's toasted they're, they're what turns brown and they're the antioxidants so what antioxidants do because you hear about them a lot they're obviously in loads of different fruits and vegetables and foods they um oxidation is something that happens when you just burn energy when you breathe oxygen and you combine it with sugars in your cells that process called cellular respiration produces as a byproduct oxidative particles which are like soot from a fire it's like when you burn fire you make soot and that soot is just crap and it clogs up the cell if you have too many too many oxidative reactions going on the cell gets fucked up and falls apart and dies eventually so antioxidants are substances that you find in foods that mop up that soot that counteract that reaction um essentially it's like those little molecules like our oxidants are molecules that are missing an electron which is a little negatively charged particle so they nick electrons from nearby things so it's like they're pulling bricks out of all the walls nearby them until the walls fall down so what antioxidants are is they're substances with a spare electron that give one to those so they stabilize other molecules so they slow down those reactions yeah so polyphenols in cacao are particularly good antioxidants but they also have specific pharmacological properties like you can't just like because carrots are antioxidant blueberries are antioxidant cherries are antioxidant green leafies are antioxidant mm. you know loads of different molecules and different plants are antioxidant but they they all have different functions because they're all different compounds they mm. have different shapes and they do different things and the antioxidants in cacao some of their properties they've got some really so one of their main properties is they stabilize or reduce inflammation in the linings of blood vessels so they dilate blood vessels so they improve circulation and they've actually done CAT scans of, of people's brains within 20 minutes, half an hour of eating dark chocolate. And it improves the blood flow to the brain by about 20%. Yeah. And the same to the skin. Yeah. And actually, I QED'd this by accident one day because I'd, I'd had like this little lump on my arm, which I removed myself with cider vinegar or whatever because it took so fucking long to get an appointment. I was just like, I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> so by the time I went in for the appointment, excuse my friend, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, I, I went in for the appointment and they, they biopsied it. Thank you. They, they biopsied it and um you know where they take a little lump out of your arm to test it and so they take them and they put a little stick tick thing to stop it bleeding and you go home and i went home and had my usual like thrice weekly half pint of cacao when i when i when i got home after about 20 minutes i think i was just watching a film as a day off or something i just felt liquid running down my arm and i just looked down and just blood pouring down my arm so because obviously i just had minor surgery and they put something on to like constrict all the blood vessels and i've just drunk what is basically a half pint of a vasodilator that dilates all the blood vessels everywhere so it's like note to self do not drink cacao immediately after having any kind of surgery do you know what i mean so (laughs) important because it dilates everything and it improves the blood flow so i was running around the thing like looking for the first aid kit going you 
Um, anyway, so um, it's, it's that quick and that. Well, within 20, but that's what's crazy about it. Like on the CAT scans, it was within 20 minutes to half an hour of a single dose, it improved the blood flow to the brain and, and to the skin and everywhere else. So that's a really important property and reducing inflammation in the lining of blood vessels. And um, there's clinical trials, which I, I, I won't get into so much in this, but I think are really important to mention, um, which show that it reduces um, the risk of type 2 diabetes. And this is even eating chocolate, like even just crappy eating chocolate with loads of sugar added to it. If it can do that in that, then, you know, the whole bean is, is, is way better because it's yeah. these that are doing it, you know. Um, and it also reduces the risk of heart disease and stroke. And I do mention that a bit later because there's some really interesting stats on that. Um, so uh, it's, it's basically reducing inflammation in the circulatory system and improving circulation everywhere. Um, roasting or toasting the beans does reduce the level of polyphenols because it breaks them down, which makes the beans taste less sour, but it also produces some other little trace compounds. Some of these guys, the, what I call the fairy dust compounds, which I'll talk about in a minute, which I think are also important. Um, but it's a compromise. So if you roast them like industrially, like they do at a uniform temperature in big ovens to make a uniform chocolate flavor, they tend to use a slightly higher temperature and a longer roasting time, which destroys more of the polyphenols. The traditional method of toasting them on a kamal, on an open clay dish, you're usually only toasting them for, say, 20 minutes or so, and you're going to get a lot more variation. So the beverages, you've got some that are really well toasted and some that are just slightly toasted. So you get a much more complex flavour and a lot more variation in the compounds in the beverage, so it produces a better quality drink. Um, Xanthines, these are what I call the, you know, like Diana Ross and the two Supremes, basically. You've got caffeine, theobromine and theophylline. And caffeine is the Diana Ross of the group, and then you've got theobromine and theophylline. So cacao does contain caffeine, not as much as coffee or tea. It contains far more theobromine that you also find in coffee or tea. Basically, they're all stimulants, but caffeine has a stronger stimulant effect on the brain, but theobromine has a stronger effect on the heart and on the kidneys. So it makes you pee more and it makes your heart beat harder. Um, but there is, particularly when you get to the doses of traditional cacao, where in a dose of traditional cacao, you might be having between 20 to 40 grams, you're getting a reasonable dose of caffeine from that. So caffeine is like the motor, the main stimulant, if you like, in cacao. Um, but it's the other stuff around it that changes the effect of it, I think. But that's, you know, the thing about people forget about caffeine is it's kind of like we've only had tea and coffee and cacao for like 500 years. And we're kind of saturated with them now. We live in a culture where we're saturated with stimulants. Like it's really rare that anyone, any one of us doesn't have either caffeine or alcohol or nicotine in our bloodstream at any one time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, if you think about those substances, they are profound shamanic substances. They're profound plant chemicals that are, that will change the culture that they're introduced to. And I often think about coffee. And again, this isn't my thought. This is, I'd recommend you read a, book by Dale Pendel called Pharmacopoeia, um, a series of three books actually that are freaking amazing where he talks about different plant uh, psychotropics and psychotropic compounds from a sort of shamanic perspective. And he talks about how, for example, coffee is the plant of capitalism. Like coffee came yeah. into its own when, because it's like, yeah. we, it's a substance which doesn't alter consciousness in any way that takes you outside the box. It narrows your focus and it makes you work harder. And if you want to regiment the, the population into sort of like grind out a 24 hour working day, doesn't matter what time of year it is, doesn't matter how old you are. It's kind of it's the drug that fits that narrative. I'm not saying coffee's bad, 
Coffee is what it is. It's an awesome substance. It's like it's just a plant that has its own properties, but it fits that very do you work thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's anyway, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, preach, I'm preaching to the gallery everywhere. here, but yeah, well, and, and, and the drugs that the drugs that become taboo are the ones which potentially their personalities undermine the narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. why, yeah, of course. So, yeah, like much like any psych, like any of the psychedelics, yeah. or you know, because because what they do is in different ways they dissolve boundaries or they 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 cause changes. The, the interaction that you might have with that substance will cause you to start questioning things a bit more, perhaps, or whatever. They're potentially problematic. Um, so, uh, then... Uh, what was the name of that book? Uh, Dale, Dale Pendel. Yeah. Pendel. Yeah. He's amazing. The three books, they're amazing. They're really fun. Um, is he, anyway, right. And then the last set of substances, this is a whole different raft of substances. It's what I call the fairy dust substances. I call them that because they're found in really small amounts. And on their own, they don't do very much. But when they're combined with all the other stuff in the bean, they add up to interesting effects. So we've got like serotonin, dopamine, phenethylamine, which is like the love chemical. And individually, the amount of phenethylamine in cacao is super small. And people have said, oh, there's not enough there to do anything. When you combine it with other substances that are called monoamine oxidase inhibitors, they stop the breakdown of phenethylamine. Turns out that a lot of the polyphenols and some of the other little trace substances in cacao are monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So they will stop the breakdown of phenethylamine, they'll stop the breakdown of serotonin, and they'll raise the levels of those things in the brain. So uh, there's, there's some more... There's, anyway, the, the point is those... those if you and there's also like trace cannabinoids in cacao there's anandamide yeah. which is the brain's natural cannabinoid and again it's like, oh it's such a small amount that can't possibly do anything but there are two other substances along with the anandamide called thing okay uh, linoleolethanolamine and n-linoleolethanolamine and they that, don't blame me on i didn't know but that that linoleolethanolamine but that they, they were they what they do is they it, they found that in the gut they stop other enzymes breaking down the anandamide so you've got these tiny amounts i think what all these things do is they add up to just lubricating the brain's pleasure circuitry they're not enough to kind of like make you woo, you know completely off your nut but they're enough to just grease the wheels of the other yeah. and, and you'll That's you'll fun. see this from me yes yeah just like open you up a little bit subtly shift the perspective um, which I'll, I'll I'll come on to in a minute, but there's there's loads of other um, things. So I right, have oh, a picture yeah. with the mushrooms here. So the mushrooms. So what you see here is a little picture. This is for a Mexica um, picture from one of their codices of like two of the warriors. Because say only the warriors are allowed to drink cacahuatl. Actually, this might be Mishtec because the Mishtec who they live very close to the Aztecs or the Mexica, yeah. and they 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 drank out of these very distinctive three legged. Um, cups but you see that foam that's like the cacao the foaming cacahuatl that they're yeah, sharing at a feast and that's the date by the way that'll be um, whatever that is one two three four five was 13 serpent or whatever it's that's the date uh, and that, that's obviously a celebration they're having the date. what we know is they drank cacahuatl these foaming cacao preparations the mexica and the, the mishtec and the late uh, by the time of the spanish conquest they tended to drink it at all important functions like weddings funerals celebrations but also any big feast, and they'd end the feast. They'd usually start the feast with tubes of smoking tobacco, and then they'd have the feast, and then they'd end the feast with cacao being handed out. Yeah. And and usually at the end of the feast, they would also ingest 
mushrooms. Psilocybin mushrooms, which they called which they called Teonana Kapal, which means God flesh. So that the purpose of ingesting the mushrooms would be for divination. What's really interesting is because cacao contains these weak but still noticeably there monoamine oxidase inhibitors, they will, they will potentiate the psilocybin a little bit. They activate it. And we know that it increases the blood flow to the brain. So cacao is a potentiator of mushrooms. And if you've ever had mushrooms and then had cacao, you will notice, I hope, <laughs> that usually after, if, if, if you have some cacao, if you have it, if you have mushrooms first and then have cacao, like a bit later, it just, it takes you up a little bit. Yes. So FYI, because that, <laughs> FYI, be careful. Yeah. well, it's, it's actually, it's, it, it's an interesting thing because, because cacao seems to have this effect of, of accentuating the positive. It's one of the nicest ways of doing it because it's going to flip you towards more having a positive rather than a negative experience. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you're going to yeah. strengthen it, you want it to also, you want to be guided towards don't have a bad trip. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but I, I think, I think, I think there was a reason, I think there was a reason for why these two things were combined pharmacologically as well as ritually. I'll go on to the, to the ritual thing in a minute because there were, so in terms of, this is just benefits from the research, from actual science with all the trials and everything, of, of dark chocolate. So this isn't even just cacao, this is just the dark chocolate, it's the ordinary eating chocolate. So regular consumption of moderate amounts of dark chocolate, that'd be something like, in most of the trials, it's like 15 grams two or three times a week. Uh, reduced risk of heart attack and stroke. Improved circulation, including to the skin. And that, that really is... Oh, there's a thing in my book where I talk about for smokers, how it's really useful for smokers, because obviously smoking fucks up the circulation of the skin, increases your risk of cancer, increases your risk of stroke and heart disease. So I know you've just gone outside for a while, sorry. But, um, the, the, it's true. The, the, the point there is that cacao is a really good thing to have if you are a smoker, because we know it reduces the risk of certain cells turning cancerous, it reduces the risk of heart attack stroke, and improves the circulation of the skin. So it's kind of like, it helps. The other thing is though, that with nicotine, if you smoke, it it speeds up the metabolism, <laughs> it speeds up the metabolism of caffeine. So you get um, improved blood sugar, which talked about improved mood, which we all know about. That's why many people eat chocolate. Um, the mood thing is interesting though, because when they gave people dark chocolate to eat, they found that the mood was intention dependent. So in other words, if people just ate it, not mindfully or whatever they didn't really notice much yeah but when they gave them cacao to eat or just chocolate not even drinking cacao just ordinary dark chocolate to eat and said focus on it their mood improved and they compared that with like apples crackers and water no difference mindfully or not no difference with cacao big difference but only when it was activated with intention yeah. so that's the big thing that's actually just a two cup couple of little bits of research very small groups they're just comparing eating chocolate to other foods and the intention was key so um and then possible reduced risk of some cancers especially lung cancer because we know in the laboratory it reduces the growth of cancer cells and uh, there seems to be some epidemiological link, but we don't know, that's only possible. And then possible prevention of age-related brain disorders such as Alzheimer's, yeah. maybe Parkinson's disease. That's again, just from a few small bits of clinical research and some early research showing some benefit possibly, but we don't know. That's, but I think for vascular dementia, for one of the kinds of dementia which is linked to crappy blood flow to the brain, which is really common, 
because people think of dementia and they just think oh Alzheimer's but actually there's loads of different types there's like Parkinson's related there's Alzheimer's there's uh, uh, Lewy body dementia which is another one and there's vascular dementia which is when the circulation's all clogged up so the circulation of the brain's fucked so I reckon cacao would be really good for that okay um all right this is something that made me excited i'm getting onto the magic bit all of this is building up to the magic bit i promise you folks because yeah. it's all relevant this is all the like okay thank you well that this this i i thought was interesting because it's comparing the data from lots of different uh, epidemiological surveys of the population on what effects social isolation has on um the risk of death so being socially isolated increases your risk of death by 29%. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Social distancing. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. It increases your risk of stroke by 32%, death by stroke, and increases your risk of death by heart attack by 29%. Now, what I found that's really interesting is just eating ordinary dark chocolate, just 7.5 grams a day, um, more than five, five times a week or more, reduced the risk of stroke by 29%, almost as much as social isolation increases it. Chocolate, and that's just any kind of freaking chocolate, five times a week or more, there's no grams per day in this survey, which is really bad, but I assume they mean dark chocolate here, and I would guess something around 10 to 15 grams, otherwise it's not gonna be enough. But in the, I read the whole paper, it wasn't just the abstract, the whole paper, they didn't even name the amount of chocolate, I'm just like, how Anyway, whatever, important details aside, they found that consume, the people who ate chocolate more regularly, the highest, highest percentile of chocolate consumers, it reduced their risk of death from coronary heart disease by 47%. And this, these are surveys, by the way, using thousands of people. They're not like 400 people, they're not like 40 people, they're population surveys, so they're significant. And then dietary cacao, this is from the same survey as the other one, 7.5 grams a day, five times a week or more, reduced the risk of death um from cardiovascular disease by 37 percent. so what's in theory just cacao offsets the increased risk of death particularly increased risk of death through heart disease and stroke induced by social isolation i think that's really really interesting given yeah. some of the stuff i'm going to talk about with the mythology and whatever but anyway so my two little pet theories about what cacao does pharmacologically one i think it's i describe it as a hedonic modifier which is just my fancy name for that pleasure lubrication thing in the brain it modifies hedonic hed, hedonic means pleasure sensitivity so hedonic modifier it modifies your sensitivity to pleasure and that was from that trial i said about the intention like when people intentionally ate it their mood improved when they didn't eat it with intention their mood just didn't change um so in experimental that was the intention dependent effects on mood where mindful consumption improved um uh, mood whereas non-mindful didn't and then they also found that with chronic consumption or regular consumption of cacao the level of serotonin in the brain of volunteers in, in oh no this is in rats they found that the level of serotonin in rat brains increased and in humans this is a little bit of a, a random one but the level of this serotonin because obviously they can't because it's considered ethically okay to like, you know, experiment on rats and then murder them and like siphon the stuff out, the juice out of their brains to see how much serotonin was yeah. in there. You can't do that with humans because it's considered for some reason a bit unethical. So um, what they did was they, they got these volunteers who obviously they paid and everything and they, 
uh, drew out their spinal cord, the cerebrospinal fluid. I know, but they were paid, they were paid. Um, money, money makes everything okay. Uh, so, so they drew it out of this one and they found the level of 5-HIA, which is this breakdown product of serotonin. So it's like this metabolite, this byproduct of serotonin. And then those who had been having cacao for at least two weeks daily, it was much higher. What was interesting is in a separate study, they also found that um, uh, cacao, I, I'm going to go into it in the next slide actually, but cacao also both acutely with single doses and over two weeks lowered the level of cortisol or stress steroid and adrenaline measurable in saliva and in urine. That's, that's both with immediate doses and with regular dosing over a couple of weeks. So it lowered the measurable levels of stress in people and it increased the level of this serotonin byproduct in the spinal cord. What we found from a separate survey is that war veterans who are at much increased risk of suicide, particularly those who did commit suicide or autopsy, in their spinal column, they'll find to have lower levels of 5-HIAA, so lower serotonin turnover, and much higher levels of cortisol. So I think cacao is like potentially anti-suicide, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's really, it's really interesting when you sort of get into the nitty gritty of all this gubbins. But so the other, the other hypothesis I have pharmacologically is that one hedonic modifier two, again, my phrase, this has less support, I'd say, antiphobic or against fear. This is really based on this one little experiment in rats where they measured, they tested what's called conditioned fear, which is learned fear responses. Where you put the little rats in a maze, oh, it's actually not really a maze, it's just like a corridor which is covered, and then you've got an open bit so they can run out into the open and explore, or they can run into the covered bit and hide. So they poke them out of the tunnel and then see what they do. And obviously, the first thing they all do is they crouch because they're like suddenly out in the open. And then the ones that are a little bit braver will go and explore the open bit, and the ones that are a little bit more freaked out will go and hide in the tunnel. And they found that the, the, the rats who had been dosed up with cacao, acutely given a single large dose of cacao, lower than the dose you take in a ceremonial dose, had less conditioned fear. They would explore more. Now what's interesting about this and what's really key for me about this is that caffeine does the opposite. So the whole thing about, oh, this could just be a caffeine effect. No, this is specific to cacao, the whole plant. If you give caffeine, it actually either does nothing for conditioned fear or increases it because it increases anxiety. Yeah. Um, and amphetamine also increases anxiety. Amphetamine is just a general magnifier. It will magnify positive and it will magnify negative. It will magnify happy thoughts and it will magnify aggression. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in cacao and these experiments, so that's just one little rat experiment, but I thought that was so key because it clearly showed a difference. Um, and then there's the stress modulation that I talked about, which is lowering cortisol and adrenaline in human volunteers with single doses and over a couple of weeks. And again, these are using, that was just using ordinary dark chocolate, quite a lot, 50 grams a day of 72%, but that's just ordinary crappy Krakow, you know, eating. Yeah, Krakow. Krakow. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing they found in that experiment was after a couple of weeks, it changed the volunteers' microbiome. It changed their, their gut flora, so they had more of the good gut flora, like the lactobacilli and the acidophilus. Um, Take the cacao. Yes. So it's the polyphenols, again, were inhibiting the growth of naughty microbes and changing the population. And what we now know is that our gut and our brain are constantly talking to each other. There are more cells of microbes in our bodies than there are our human cells. We're actually freaking coral reefs. And the whole idea that we are individuals is kind of a product of our conscious mind inventing shit. You know, it's we're, we're actually composites. Uh, of, of lots of little different things collaborating physically mm -hmm. and I suspect 
Thank you as well. Um, so uh, the point is, if the count how actually modifies, it doesn't just modify the brain on an observable thinky level here, and the hormones in terms of the cortisol actually modifies the gut flora as well in a beneficial way. This isn't to say that there may be a, a, a downside to it. In one experiment, they found that um, cacao, these, it reduced food sensitivities in, some, in, in these rats that they fed cacao for a couple of weeks. But it also, in those rats which they'd given foods which were allergenic, which caused inflammation, they had a slightly thinner gut lining. I think that's really interesting. So I think what cacao probably does is it helps the gut flora. It benefits, it reduces your stress levels. The fact that it maybe slightly thins the gut lining and makes it more permeable is really interesting because one of my hypotheses, as I'm about to go on to in the mythology bit, is that it's it's a portal opener. It helps you connect with other levels, which is why they used it with mushrooms yeah. and why they used it in ceremony. Do you see where I'm going with this? It's all building, it's all building. Um, promise you, <laughs> it sort of adds up. So, right, Stella, Stella Cacao. So this is this is the, the sort of star lore of it. So this is this is me ten years ago with this like uh, Corandero. It, he's Corandero Diego, in, and he's like he's he's the man. He's like he's, when I went there, he's got like forty patients sitting in his yard waiting to see him, and he just treats people all the time. And I went there to talk, talk to him because he, he's got a little cacao tree in his yard and I wanted to find out how he used cacao. And my hypothesis was in, if I was to fit cacao into European astrology, obviously the Maya used a whole different system and a whole, whole different mythology, I would think of cacao as a plant of Venus, you know, in, 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 our, in our money, if you like, because Venus is pleasure, Venus is joy, Venus is connection, Venus is expelling inflammation and getting rid of pain. Um, so, I, the, and there were lots of other little things in the traditional use. It was used as a galactagogue to improve breast milk production, for example, which is all very Venus stuff. So I said, what do you use it for? And he said, oh, I use the flowers. And I said, do you use it, for example, the tree, the whole tree, to treat problems with the throat and the urinary tract? And he was like, yeah. So he uses like uh, infusion of the flowers to treat UTIs and he, and he said, oh, you're, 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 you're a curandero like me. And I was like, that's really interesting because it was like those, the reason I said those was that the throat and the urinary tract in Western astrology were ruled by Venus. But obviously this is, this, this Diego is operating in the 21st century after 500 years of colonialization. So is he, has this, has his, the way he uses the plants being influenced by the European beliefs, you know what I mean? Catholicized. Yeah, so, well, that's what's so interesting about Mexico. It's like Catholicism, but kind of not. It's like pagan Catholicism. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, Haiti, where the, where like the North where Wales. The, yes, yeah, yeah, where, 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 the, where the saints are kind of like dressed up for the old gods. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like if you just dig a little bit, they're sort of like not what you think they are. Yeah. And in all these stalls, they're selling like candles with the Virgin Mary on them to attract luck and like whatever to attract money. And like literally the same stores where they're, they're they're selling candles and magical unguents to yeah. like dispel lock and whatever. They've got leaflets saying beware of these demonic influences. <laughs> it's just like it's sort of like a two cultures like that. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I love Mexico. Yeah, it's it's crazy culture. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just an amazing country, part of the world. I love it. Anyway, right. This is this is um, uh, Senora Cal, who was a midwife, a comadrona in Guatemala. And she's showing me how, well, she was attempting to show me how they separate cocoa butter by hand, but it was a day a bit like today where for them it was freezing. For me, it was like, mm, this is just pleasantly normal, but for them it was like a really cold day. 
and she couldn't get it to do it and she was like oh i can't work work and i was like it's just because it needs to be hot i think for the cocoa butter to melt and to separate um but she showed me this other method as well but she was brilliant she told me that they use cacao a lot because she's a midwife she said we recommend it to breastfeeding women to improve their milk supply um and i reckon i reckon it'd be just thinking about it practically both maize and cacao are foods that will store dry so if there's a famine or something on they're a good source of nutrients that you can store um the and cows as well what the cows what do you mean well well no for your animals as well as you said. oh well maybe, well maybe the maize yes sorry uh so so cacao would be something that's 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 uh storable so um the point about this is that these these are sort of like venus connections in 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 old european money okay so this and anita was the one who sort of mentioned ishchel the, the uh, mayan goddess of fertility and this is chak who is a mayan rain god and this is a an old mural i can't i think it might be from yes it is beautiful isn't it and it shows them uh they're they're exchanging gifts of cacao and drinking this is a big urn of foamy cacao down there and uh, this is a little contract between them and these two were the two gods of fertility in the wider sense because yeah. ishchel is obviously fertility in the personal sense like pregnancy and birth and and chak is the god of rain and agriculture yeah. so they're they're here exchanging cacao exchanging gifts so um, what was she against she's also the goddess of healing one of the Maya goddesses of healing there's a really good book called sastan written by rosita arvigo so this is almost nature meeting human something like that i mean it's it's, it's just the, the point here I, I, I was really making is that there's a there's an association between cacao and fertility both in terms of its uses and in terms of the, the deities it was associated with um we don't know a lot about the the details of the mayan myths because a lot of them were lost unfortunately so but um anyway i thought that was a, a really interesting picture and okay so theobroma as venus in european money in old world money this is just me trying to parcel it in 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 the system that i use when i'm thinking about astrology in traditional mythology it was linked to morning star deities both mexica deities like quetzalcoatl the god of knowledge who in uh, the mexica god of knowledge he was like a really benign god he was one of the only mexica gods who didn't require human sacrifice wow. all the other gods were kind of big on it he was like no i don't want that and <laughs> one of the one of his uh one of the myths, Quetzalcoatl, because there are various ones, were that um, one of the origin myths was that he was once a king in the human world. And uh, because he was also a god, he stole cacao from the gods to give to the people to make them happy. And when the gods found out, they sent his little nemesis, which is like his dark brother, like the Darth Vader version of him, down to Earth. And that dark, dark nemesis called Tezcatlipoca or Smoking Mirror and Tezcatlipoca came in the guise of a wise person and saying and and Tezcatlipoca smoking mirror brought to the court he said oh you're giving everyone cacao but I, I can bring you the drink of absolute happiness and wisdom which was pulque or fermented like Mexican beer basically okay. made from fermented maguey cactus sap so he he gave it to King Quetzalcoatl to drink and Quetzalcoatl got drunk which in Mesoamerica was a huge taboo like old people were allowed to be drunk publicly 
But if anyone else has drunk publicly, it was a massive sin and a crime. So he got drunk and acted the fool and made a, you know, disgrace of himself. And then, so he had to go into exile. And as he went into exile, he saw that all the cacao trees he planted had been turned into maguey, like cactus, spiny cactus, which they made porke out of. And then when he got to the coast, he planted a cacao tree and went into the west, into the sea. This is really interesting because Quetzalcoatl has been identified with the evening star. That's Venus as an evening star. She's only visible in the west after the sun has set. And on the west coast in Tabasco is one of the cacao growing regions. It's one of the only cacao growing regions in that part of the world. So obviously the arid mainland, only the cactus will grow, cacao won't grow there. So that's one of the little origin myths. So there's, there's a, the, one of the Mayan deities, Ekchua, who's a scorpion-tailed deity we know is linked to cacao because he was a merchant god and he's often depicted with packs of cacao beans on his back. And he was an underworld god. Um, we don't know a lot about him, just he was an old geezer who carried cacao on his back and had a, he was called, his name means black scorpion. Um, and he was associated with the evening star Venus as well. Um, so traditional association with intoxication, cacao in the literature, in, in, in Aztec poems is described as being under the influence of cacao is described as being intoxicated. But they use that word a lot. They use it for like poem, poetry, and for art and for song. Anything that changes your state was intoxication. Um, ritual use for attracting good. That's in Curanderismo in modern Mexico. Cacao beans used in rituals for bringing good forces. Um, traditional medicinal uses. It was cooling, fattening for helping weight gain after illness or whatever. Galacticog to help milk, breast milk production, and anti-venom, it was used to prevent harm from snake bites, which is interesting because the circulatory properties, mm-hmm. yeah, some snake venoms cause coagulation and inflammation in blood vessels. Um, and then it benefits health and is pleasant tasting and is associated with luxury, wealth, and high status in Mesoamerica and still today. If you think about all the adverts for chocolate you've ever seen, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got that thing where it's always sold as luxury thing that goes that has ancient like that goes way back um okay all right that's quetzalcoatl who i was talking about that's the, one of the mexica drawings of him late post classic mexica god god of knowledge and culture he was the one who who ended up getting usurped when he got drunk oh, and yeah. this is this is a drawing this is a lovely uh, mural i don't know if you can see it from uh, a, a late classic maya site called kaxler and there's this blue venus god here we know it's the venus god because that little skirt he's wearing with the eye in the middle yeah. and those rays coming off it that's like how they depicted stars and specifically how venus was shown and he's got a scorpion tail can you see there yeah. and then on either side of him sorry lou <laughs> all right there's on either side of him there's two little animals there's a toad and i think is that a turtle it's supposed to be a turtle but there's a jaguar's oh, head okay. on it and then on this side there is a cacao tree and on this side there's a maize plant wow now this this little bit this strip at the bottom with the water that's sometimes described as a sky band and it's their sort of zodiac 
band, but it also shows the underworld because for the Maya and the Mexica, the underworld was a wet, watery place. Because when you dig down, there's water under the earth, yeah. and there's a lot of sinkholes in, in, in the Yucatan the Peninsula. Cenotes, the cenotes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you go down, there's, there's fresh water, yeah. and then on top of salt water. So the underworld was watery. Um, these, we think. No, 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 that wasn't a bad thing at all. That, that wasn't a bad thing. So these, we think these are constellations the turtle and the frog, when Maya names for different constellations. And I wonder about the maze is likely to be um, the sun, because we know the maize gods were always associated with the sun. Maize is yellow, yeah. it lives for one year and then dies back, has to be replanted. Um, it so. grows up where it needs heat, you know, and it's their basic, basic um, food. It's like bread in Europe or whatever. So maize in all their myths was associated with the sun god. And in a lot of their myths, the sun god has to die, go down to the underworld and be reborn. And in some of those myths, and I'll tell you about one of them in a minute, that 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 what the they, the maize song god encounters in the underworld is cacao in one form or another. So cacao is like the underworld version of the maize sun god. And if you think about the two plants, maize is, grows and dies in a year. Cacao lives for many years. Cacao needs shade. Maize needs sun. Cacao pods grow down. Down maize grows up. Wow. Maize, you've got the cobs that are out in the middle. Cacao has the shell and then the lining and then the cobs growing down in the middle, you know, with all the seeds on the side. So there's these weird little parallels. And in terms of harvesting, when the maize is ready to harvest, the cacao is ready to plant. There's this overlap in terms of the calendar as well. So they lend themselves to like symbolic juxtaposition. Um, and obviously they're combined in foods. And in some, one of the myths, like one of the gods who created humanity used his own blood and uh, maize and cacao to make the dough that made the first humans. Wow. So it's kind of greedy. So good. So, all right. So we're moving. So that was a little bit of uh, random star law thrown in, linking cacao to Venus in the old world as well. The fourth part of the talk I did that started off with a little bit of beverages. Then I went into a bit of the sciencey stuff. And then I talked about a bit of the star law a bit. And then I'm just going to talk a bit more about the myths, um, the mythology which I'd already started getting into. So a little bit of a diversion, and then we'll come back around. So you, most of you will probably know, like in the old world, there's this idea of the Axis Mundi, the tree that connects the realms, which in yeah. Norse mythology was Yggdrasil, right? Which has its roots in the underworld. We live in the middle world, and then its branches are in the heavens, right? Mm -hmm. This like myth is part of the, what's sometimes called the perennial philosophy. It's found in cultures all around the world. This idea of sort of living, conduit tree is symbolizes a tree that connects the realms and we're in the middle um so the new in the new world the tree was in the old world you probably know that the norse visualized it as an ash tree it was a tree that goes straight up fast growing well. in in the old world it was visualized as a saber tree mostly which is a very tall tree in the old world and they're thought to be 13 levels of the celestial world or heaven and nine levels of the underworld in, the, in their specific wow. version Okay, so this is a Mayan depiction of the world tree and it's showing the connection to the star law because the world tree, their name, one of the Mayan names of the world tree was Wakachan, which is also their name for the Milky Way, which they saw as the path between the realm of the gods and the realm of the humans. So the Milky Way with the world tree in the sky. Um, and that they always depict the world tree. It's a very stylized tree with its roots down here in the underworld 
and then you've got a little bird. This is a bird with its t plumed tail and a little beak there. It's a Quetzal bird, which is native to, to Mesoamerica, sitting on top. And that bird was Itzam Ye, which is one of the bird in there, one of their creation myths that was, it was like punished for hubris. He tried to be the sun before the sun was created. And the creator God like had him shot out of the tree and whatever. So, but, that but Itzam Ye is also the constellation of um, I think the Big Dipper, because as the year changes, the Milky Way, the orientation of the Milky Way, falls towards the horizon. So the bird, the Big Dipper, falls off the top of the tree, and the god who had him shot down, one of his name, the Creator God's name was Hurricane, and when Itzam Ye falls towards the horizon, it's signals the start of the hurricane season. So as usual, the mythology connects to the real world events. Um, and then this snake going through the branches of the tree. Think about that. Old world mythology, Genesis, interesting connections, maybe. Um, the snake um, was the ecliptic, which is the path of the, the apparent path of the sun around the earth, that what we call the zodiac. So that was, which is obviously massively important in all forms of astrology and divination worldwide. So that, so the, the, the tree itself is the Milky Way and then the ecliptic sort of runs parallel to it or cuts across it. Um, and that was the snake in the branches of the tree. Um, this is, the, the interesting thing here is that while Sabre in most of the texts and myths is, is their earthly depiction of the world tree, the world tree was sometimes depicted as cacao as you can see here. So this is a late Mexica drawing of the world tree. And we can tell it's the world tree because you can see it's Amye, the bird, in the sitting at the top of the tree there. The roots in the underworld, you can see it's emerging from this guy with a skeleton headdress and little clawed hands and feet there. And we know it's a cacao tree because you can see these little rugby balls growing off the ends of the branches there and at the bottom which are little cacao pods. And cacao pods grow off the branches. They don't grow at the ends of the branches, they grow off the trunk of the tree. It's called cauliflori, mm. it's detached. Um, so what's interesting about this is we've got two, this is a slightly gory and explicit uh, photograph, uh, 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 picture rather. We've got these two guys permit, uh, performing auto-sacrifice where they're letting blood from their penises, which are enlarged for pictorial purposes. Uh, they're, they're letting blood and there's this guy down here who's possibly being sacrificed, maybe a god of death. And there's a literal portal, like a 1950s comic portal, opening up behind the tree. It's cenote. It's, uh, um, well, cenote was a portal. Yeah, 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 it was a literal portal. But the, the reason for this sacred sites in Mesoamerica, like cenotes, like um, uh, 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 mountains, were that they were what in old Celtic Europe would have been called thin places. Places where the realms were connected to each other. Yeah. So they were sacred because they were openings into the underworld or they connected the un yeah. this world to the heavens. Like a mountain, right? You go to the top of the mountain, you're nearer the heavens, whatever. And if it's a mountain with a spring coming out of it, ooh, that's like the underworld emerging and it's, you know, it's, it's going towards the heavens. It's connecting the levels. So that's why they built, you know, they sometimes built shrines and temples there. All their shrines and temples were designed to replicate those places. The stepped mountains, the ziggurats, which were often hollow inside, or the ball courts, which were like cenotes, they were sort of stepped downwards. The ball courts, if you look at Mesoamerican ball courts where the sacred ball game was played, 
they had they were like step like the jaws of serpents. The cenotes were sometimes regarded as as serpent mouths into the earth because the serpent in in Mesoamerican mythology was a, a sort of a, con, a symbolic connector of life and death. Presumably because snakes are kind of scary and dangerous and kind of uncanny because they shed their skins and unhinge their jaws, but they're also very highly poisonous. And particularly a lot of the snakes in Central America, you get bit, you're dead. So they're they're uncanny. They're conduits between life and death. Um, so what in rituals, what they were trying to do, and we know this because this is still done in, in, in a lot of traditional rituals, was to open the portal so you can connect with the ancestors and connect with the gods. And uh, in many of these rituals were designed to summon what was literally called a vision serpent, which was really, I think of it a bit like snakes and ladders serpent, where you could go down or up. You go through the jaw of the serpent. It's a scary experience. Part of you feels like it's dying. We all know that if you've taken psychoactives, really strong psychedelics, they're ego dissolving, right? They're a little bit scary. So it's kind of like you're going through the serpent's jaws and up or down or whatever. Yeah. So, but the idea with auto-sacrifice or any kind of sacrifice is that you're giving some energy. And in Mesoamerican mythology, as with many peoples worldwide, it was thought that your living blood carried the energy or essence of your ancestors. So by giving some of that energy, you were you were empowering the ritual and you were sort of providing a physical essence of the ancestors for it. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of and what's the reason cacao may have been involved in these myths is partly because of some of the pharmacology I've talked about, where it potentiates mushrooms, it facilitates pleasure, it reduces conditioned fear a little bit, it perfectly on a physical level prepares you for ritual i think in that way it just makes it it makes your boundaries a little bit thinner i think and also makes you more open to stuff just a little bit it just physically opens you up slightly and protective yeah exactly perfect yeah because it was like protective against snake venom like <clears throat> drinking cacao that was thought would protect you if you're bitten by a snake you were less likely to die and i think that while I wouldn't rely on that as an anti-venom, if you were traveling in Central America, I think there's probably some truth to it. Cause as I said, a lot of snake venoms cause your blood to coagulate. A lot of them are neurotoxic. Some of the properties in cacao might... What's might. this chap down here? The chap down here, I think, is a guy either... He's the god of death, Miklantikutli, but the god of death is usually just has a skull head. He doesn't have a human head. Or he's a guy who has had his heart cut out. Um, because they did perform human sacrifice. That was their highest form of sacrifice. That was their highest payment to cut the living heart of a... Uh, uh, are these cacao pods here again? Those are cacao pods there as well. Now, that I'm getting on to this. Cacao was... So, yeah, don't... I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> so, anyway, the, here we've got... and This is a Mayan uh, thing from Banampak, I think, where you've got this guy on the either side with a big headdress sitting down. I think that's the Mayan god Kawil, who's a god of plenty. He's a god of abundance and, and uh, he's like one of the ruling gods. And he's got a little chap sitting down there, I think grinding cacao or is it the chap speaking up to him. And then this big tree in the middle, that's a cacao tree with all the pods growing off the trunk. And you've got this head. Can you see the little head coming out of the tree in the middle? Um, cacao trees are often depicted in Mesoamerican art with ancestors emerging from them or with uh, sort of like with some kind of uh, person coming out of them. And 
On either side, Chichen Itza, one of the Mayan sites, the late classic Mayan sites, you've got the doorway of the Temple of the Owls, which is the Temple of the Dead. And either side of the doorway, you've got two carved cacao trees, which have little discs carved all over them. Discs was the Mayan symbol for jade, which means very precious, like jade was their most precious thing. So like two cacao trees on either side of the Temple of the Owls, so-called, which is some, something to do with the ancestors. And the base of the bottom of these trees, you have carvings of ancestors emerging with like speech scrolls coming out of their mouth, like they're speaking. And you see this in a lot of the pottery things. Like you can see there's a little breath of something coming out of his mouth there. The ancestors speaking through the tree. My feeling is cacao, uh, oh, and one of the Mexica or later Aztec names for cacao was Yolol Estli, which means the heart, the blood. Think about what I was saying about the pharmacology earlier, about how we've now found that cacao reduces the risk of heart attack and stroke and dilates blood vessels, whatever. You could think, oh, it's just that. But they didn't know about that physical stuff. They were looking at cacao, I think, as a repository of life force. And if the ancestors lived in the blood, there's something about cacao that was connecting you to the ancestors. It was a repository of life force in the same way that the blood was, particularly the blood from human hearts. Um, and the, there is a, a really famous um, Mayan, Mayan myth cycle by the Quiche, which is called the Hero Twin Cycle. And it's actually a, a sort of analogy of the death of the sun god when he goes down into the underworld and gets killed and whatever. Basically, these two, uh, hero, two twins that are born and they're playing the ball game one day and they're banging the ball up and down, annoys the gods of death who are underneath in the basement. So the gods of death send a messenger to summon them to, to say hello or whatever. So they come downstairs, say hello to the gods of death, and they both get killed. And the gods of death bury them in the underworld. So that's done with. But then before they left, one of them's had uh, kids who also happen to be twins. And those twins grow up. And one day they find their father and their uncle's ball game equipment and they start playing ball game. And the gods of death get really annoyed by the banging again. So they send, uh, they summon them. And there's this really elaborate way that they summon them. Like they send a beetle that gets swallowed by a bird, that gets swallowed by a bigger bird, that gets swallowed by a you know. And so, and then eventually when they shoot this bird, and then when they shoot the bird and it, it drops down, it sort of regurgitates a toad, which regurgitates a beetle, which regurgitates, you know, entity gives up. It's really bizarre. Is there's clearly some symbolism about shamanic transformation and about how how messages come to you from the underworld or whatever. But um, anyway, so they get the message to come down to the underworld and their grandmother, who of course is the dead guy's mother, is, says, don't go, don't go, they'll kill you, it's a trick, yada yada. So they say, don't worry, we'll be fine. And they plant maize in the garden and say, as long as this maize is alive, we, we're okay. If the maize dies, we're dead. So she goes, okay. So then they go to the underworld and um, the gods of death do try to trick them. They put them through loads and loads of trials. Um, and uh, at one point, one of them gets decapitated oh. and they use his head as the ball in the ball game. And then this rabbit comes and helps them by pretending to be the ball and they stick his head back on. And then eventually it's... It, well, all of the, every little bit of symbolism in this makes sense if you tie it back into the Star Wars. This is what's so crazy about it. The Maya saw a rabbit in the face of the moon. Yeah. So the decapitation, think about eclipses, yeah. and the, the, the face of the moon being occluded, and then the rabbit takes the place of it. And it's just, there's all these little references that snuck in there. So if you, if you know how to decode it, you can see what they're talking about. But anyway, the, the, at the end of the ballgame, they win, and the gods of death are like, okay, well, you win. 
But then this, this little guy comes in from the sidelines and says, they're tricking you, they're going to kill you anyway. So they say, okay, after they kill us, what you have to do is tell them that they need to scatter our ashes into the river in the underworld. Oh, I missed out a really cool bit of the story. Okay, backtrack slightly. Backtrack slightly. After the first, the first pair of twins, because it's the, the first pair of twins, you know, they're their parents who went down to the underworld and got killed. This is the really important bit. When they were buried in the underworld, in the place that they were buried at a crossroads in the underworld, a tree grew and it bore fruit. And one of the fruits was the head of one of the guy who was guys who was killed. Yeah. And the daughter of the god, god of the underworld, the, the king of the underworld, she came, she heard from all the people in the underworld, oh, this tree's fruits are really tasty. So she came to check it out and the, the, the guy's head spat in her palm and she became pregnant because that's how that works. And so she, she then, she that she was, and interestingly, she was called Blood Moon, which again is another sort of eclipse thing, right? Mm -hmm. So she, she, knowing she's pregnant and that it's probably linked to these dead guys who weren't supposed to be there and she wasn't supposed to be going to that tree anyway, she tries to hide it, but her father, the god of the underworld, finds out and she runs away from the underworld and goes back up and finds the boy's mother, um, you know, the, 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 the first set of twins' mother, and begs her to let her in, and she lets her in, and then she has the twins, the young boys, who then later are playing ball and get sent down to the underworld. Get me? At this point, what, what, what happens is the, the, the younger twins have gone down to the underworld, they've just lost, they've won the ball game, but they know the gods of death are going to trick them, so they tell this little guy who comes and says they're going to kill you in a minute, they say, tell the gods of death to, to when we die, tell them to burn our bodies and scatter our ashes in the, in the river in the underworld. Um, but don't tell them that we told you to do that. So that's what happens. Basically, the gods of death invite them to a feast. They kill them. So then this guy says, oh, in order to make sure that they, they're, they're gone forever, you must burn their bodies and scatter their ashes in the river in the underworld. Fourteen days later or something, they, they appear in the, in the river as two fish. And then they crawl out of the river and become people. And they go around and visit, like they go around in the underworld, miraculously resurrecting people. And the gods of death hear about this. And so what they do is they go around killing people in the underworld and then bringing them back to life. So the gods of death hear about this and invite them to their court and say, do this for us, because they don't realise it's the two guys that they killed earlier come back to life in a different form. And so the two, the two twins kill the gods of death and then don't bring them back to life. And so they take their little revenge. Then they go and visit their father and their, their tree in the underworld and the, the place of their father and their, gra and their uncle's grave. And they can't revive them. They can't revive them because it's been too long and they're too messed up. So they say, what we'll do is we'll revere you in the human world. We'll remember your names and we'll revere you. And then they emerge from the underworld as the sun and the moon. And that's the whole crazy cycle. So the interesting thing is, a lot of people in this myth have said that the tree that in the underworld with that with the guy's head was a gourd tree but gourd fruit is pretty much inedible it's gross whereas cacao fruit is edible and it's tasty and there's lots of other evidence this because in the in, in lots of the pottery depictions and the murals we see this cacao tree with the head speaking and the, the ancestors emerging from it so there's something about cacao that was linked to that sort of underworld and say it's juxtaposed with maize because remember they planted maize in their grandmother's garden before they went down and said when the maize dies it means we're dead. And by the way, when they were killed, the maize dies and then she's upset and then 14 days later when they come back as two fish, the maize like grows again. She's like, oh, they're alive. Uh, so 
Yeah, so now the, 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 even the, the two fish thing is really important. This is the myoglyph for cacao, which is like, like a fish. Oh, wow. And can you see there's yeah. two dots in front of its mouth? Yeah. There are little fish bubbles. Mm. Um, that literally, the, the literal name cacao, the Maya name for fish is ka. Cacao, it means two fish. That is their glyph for cacao. The name means two fish. So the myth of the hero twins, where they get, they, they are killed, they are burned, their ground bodies are mixed with water and emerge as two fish, <laughs> making cacao. Hello. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so so I think that's I think that's really crazy. I can't claim credit for doing that detective work. There's this amazing guy who's done a whole PhD on cacao and the hero twins myth and you did oh. all this crazy detective Wait, work. Is that the no, that, uh, that, that, is the, that is the, that is the Mayan hieroglyph, you know, in their writing. That's right. how they wrote cacao. Right. And, and it was, it was like a pun, I think, because it's like just that they'd obviously, I think we think, or historians think, whatever, that they borrowed the name from an Olmec word, like way back in, you know, 800 BC. So the Maya got the word cacao, but because the Mayan word for fish was ka, they thought it was like kakawa, it's two fish. <laughs> So they, they wrote cacao as a glyph for a fish with two dots in front of it. So their whole myth was, anyway, you, you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. They built the myth around the sort of pun around the rubber. Um, so that's the hero twins myth. So th there's a, anyway, so it's like, this is my little background of prepared cacao. These are two little separate bits. You can't really see what the hell is going on there, but that, that is a bit from the Borgia Codex, which is uh, one of the Mexica codices. It looks like superheroes. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Well, what this is, they think this represents the creation of the universe. <laughs> like like the, the Mexica equivalent of the Big Bang or something. Wow, it's great. And you've got a skull-faced vessel with all this brown liquid foaming out the top of it and all these rays coming out of it. And you see these little serpents coming out of it, which represent wind or air. Um, and you've got this, this skull faced being on top, dancing on top of it. I think when I've read about this, it's like, this is uh, clearly a bowl of beer or some foamy liquid. It's obviously cacao. That's obviously chocolate. It's brown. If you look at the fucking myths about the underworld, you've got the underworld God on top of it. You've got the air, the representations of the snakes, which represent wind. And also in Mesoamerican myth, rainbows were visualized as serpents because they connected sky and earth, like the, the, the vision serpent. Um, but the bubbles in cacao, if you prepare it properly, reflect light, like they're oily, they reflect the rainbow. They sh you've got a, li a living rainbow serpent in every bubble. So this is like a bowl of foaming liquid in a bowl shaped like a fucking skull with the gold <laughs> death god above it with all these snakes coming out of it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> anyway, so that's, that, I'd, I've not got that confirmed, but that is what I think it, that probably is. Where did you find that? That is from the Borgia Codex. I think it's a, ten, a, a, a late sort of 15th century yeah. before the conquest. Um, then this is a, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a corandero or a priest of uh, the Lacandon Maya in, in modern day um, Guatemala. And what this is showing is that the, all these little vessels are what they're called, they're, they're, they're god pots. They're sacred, it's a shrine, basically. 
and each of those pots is supposed to house a god or a spirit. And in order to draw the spirit into it, they put into each pot five cacao beans. And the cacao beans symbolise the vital organs of that being. It symbolises the heart and the lungs and the diaphragm and something else. So it's this consistent connection with cacao and the ancestors and the gods and vitality and vital force and bringing things to life. Reanimation. That's the idea. And the, the, the idea that the essence that's in the blood, the essence of the ancestors is also present in cacao. Um, so, uh, where are we? Okay. So, and then just a few little randoms from modern, from, from well, first of all, from alchemy. <laughs> when cacao was brought to Europe, some of the alchemists did little experiments with it. And this one, Henry Stubb, who wrote a whole book on chocolate in the 1600s, he distilled cacao and he found that um, the spirits of cacao, which is what we now call an aromatic water, um, were as red as blood and the Catholic mortum, which is what remains when you burn it everything to ash and like dissolve the ashes in water, it's, it's the residue that's left. He said they tasted of fat flesh when boiled. So if you did the same thing with meat and then uh, burned all meat to ash and then dissolved the ash in water, chucked away the water and that remaining insoluble solid, that's called the Caput Mortem or death's head of any substance in alchemy. It's the, the most gross bit of it when you burn everything else away. As in gross as in heavy, not disgusting. As in just like the red, because you made a face like, what, what are you talking about? Um, so that, that, remain, that residue, he said, it tasted the same as the residue of flesh. Um, from the cacao? From sorry. cacao. Wow. And, and he said the fixed sulfur, which is what we now call the essential oil, was um, and had an inexpressible aromaticalness on the tongue, seemed to delight and refresh the heart and stomach, but with a great resemblance still of flesh. So when he did this thing of meat, he found the essence of cacao was red like blood and tasted like the same product of flesh, which I think is it could they write it off as random, but it's so interesting because he didn't know anything about the traditional mythology of it, where it was linked to the blood. You know, the living blood of people. Anyway, so, and then wow. the, the homeopathic chocolatum, which was a product made just from ordinary chocolate in the 80s, is a recent, recent homeopathic thing. The provers experienced various different symptoms, but it was linked consistently to feelings of being the outsider, the outcast, to anxiety, to emotional instability, a need to tell the truth and react against deception, physical coldness, and palpitations. So I picked up from that. The idea of the, the sort of Quetzalcoatl myth, the exile being deposed or taken out of your, like either going into the underworld or being cast out in some way. It was a really strong feeling of people who are drawn to chocolatum and also the heart stuff, like the palpitations. And then traditional Chinese medicine, chocolate, which they call chakali, which is just like Chinese pronunciation, chocolate, chakali, um, where it tonifies the heart and kidney yang which in Western money means it regulates the adrenals and energy metabolism and promotes sexual functions and growth and strengthens resistance. So it's the same idea of being a tonic. Um, and then just my summary of some of those, because that was a whole like, remember in the, there's like 14 years of gubbins in that book. So this is like quite a little, you know, cereal box yeah. version of it. But some of the summaries of all those themes, I would say, would be cacao as the world tree, linking the underworld, earth and heaven. Cacao as a tree of the underworld, the maize gods, 
underworld counterpart. And cacao in traditional mythology was said to protect maize in some way, which is really interesting. Like the Maya said, cacao protects maize. It's um, cacao used in sacrifice, like in the, in the, in the Lacandon Maya's god pots, or in traditional, because in the, both the Mexica and, and the Maya used cacao as offerings as a synonym for human blood. So they weren't always doing human sacrifices and that kind of stuff. They would just give other offerings like jade or rubber or whatever, and they used cacao to symbolize blood. It contained that same essence. Uh, an oblation standing in for blood and vital organs, and it's the Aztec name or Mexica name, the heart, the blood. It was directly linked to communicating with the ancestors. Uh, it was a link to female fertility and reproduction. It was drunk at threshold events, such as celebrations, contracts, cer ceremonies of all sorts, and funerals and everything really. And it was used to protect against snake venom and um, water serpents or water spirits were said to desire cacao. And there's also the link to rainbow serpents that I've mentioned already, that po possible link. That's just something that I've spotted because the bubbles reflect light in that way. But there was a sort of snaky link. I remember serpents were the, the vision serpent that connected the realms, analogous to the world tree. Last slide. So just my little summary of some of the themes that have come up for me with cacao. It's like that in terms of the magic of cacao, it's about rebirth, vivifying or revitalizing, fortifying. And this is interesting. A lot of the myths through adversity, if you think about a lot of the myths of it, it's like, going into the underworld and it's like strengthening through difficult times in a way, um, facilitating transformation. And I think that <laughs> the homeopathic proving was really interesting. That's those drawn to cacao. And there is actually scientific research for this. They found that people who were most drawn to chocolate or identified as chocoholics were much more likely to have a higher level of neuroticism. Neuroticism doesn't mean you're crazy, like people think it does. What neuroticism means, the technical definition of neuroticism is sensitivity to negative emotion. So they have a higher sensitivity to negative emotion. So that I thought was fascinating. There's quite, so I think that those drawn to cacao have high sensitivity to negative emotions. They often feel isolated or unnurtured in some way, may have a personal or family history of exile such as being scapegoated, rejected, vilified, or othered, and they may encounter, embody, or expose ancestral trauma. I think those are the functions of cacao. Those are the functions of it. So there's a brilliant Cuban phrase called, which I really enjoy, it's called Toma Chocolate Paga Lo Que Debes, which means drink your chocolate and pay what you owe. And it's actually a common phrase just meaning pay your debts, you know, don't, don't fuck people over, that's what it means. Toma chocolate, paga lo que debes. Paga lo que debes. So pay what you owe. Toma chocolate, drink chocolate, pay what you owe. Oh, that's very good, actually. So it's, it's a groovy little phrase, isn't it? So drink chocolate, pay what you owe. So I think it's a medicine for facilitating transformation of ancestral patterns, possibly, and acceptance of mortality and carrying burdens. I often think of Ekchua with his burden of cacao. Because um, a lot of those myths were about going into the underworld or encountering the underworld, then being transformed and reborn. So there's something about the cow, but I think that that fear dissolving, pleasure lubricating thing is to open up to what, to that process of encountering scary stuff and enabling yourself to be transformed. 
think that's the idea. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah.